You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on August 18th, 2019. A reading from the Letter to the Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this weekend, uh, my older three children and I went to a belt demonstration test for Taekwondo. Uh, Many of you might know that we have a Taekwondo school that meets here in our parish hall on Tuesday and Thursday evenings. And our family's a part of that. We've been learning Taekwondo together. And so this was actually our third belt test. We've been slowly gaining our ranks. And this one is a yellow belt with a black stripe in the middle, uh, which looks a little bit like a bumblebee. So uh, when you get a new belt, what you have to do in our school, and I think it's the same in most martial arts, is you, you don't just do your test in front of your own class, your own school right here. We had to go to St. Augustine and they got all the different schools in our organization together to do a belt demonstration test with all of them together. So all of the people who were testing for yellow advance, like we were, got up with us and did the same techniques and the same combinations of moves all at the same time. And it was really a a fun experience. Uh, It's really kind of uh, impressive to see all of these different people from all over Jacksonville and beyond Jacksonville getting together um, to do this same exercise. But the grandmaster of the organization, a man named Grandmaster Coker, got up at the beginning and he said something that I thought was pretty profound. He said, remember, today is just a day when you get some new color on your belts. The real test is all the work that you've put into Taekwondo up to this point. 
That's what's earned you your belt today. Not whatever you do on your, your test today in front of the black belts and the judges. It's everything that's led up to this point. All the training you've been to, all of the practice you've put into it at home and in your school, that's what matters. And today is just a demonstration of what you've learned in all of that practice. That was the real test for you. And this is true about lots of different kinds of athletics. Athletic competitions and accomplishments are not won overnight. It takes consistent training and consistent work over time to achieve those goals. You need to eat the right things. You need to get enough sleep. You need to exercise in ways outside of your sport. You need to train yourself in the skills required for your particular sport. All of these things are the discipline and the training that are required to help you achieve your goals in whatever discipline it is you're trying to accomplish. Athletic achievement can push you to the limits of what you're capable of. I know this because as someone who's almost 40 doing Taekwondo, I look at my kids and I look at how easily they kick their legs up above their heads and my leg, it just doesn't do the same thing that their legs do. And I see them trying to, to spread their legs out and do splits. It's not too hard for them, but for me, it's nearly impossible. It's a little bit more challenging when you're my age. Um, anyway, athletic achievement can push you to the limits of what you're capable of. And it was beautiful to see some of the people, even far older than I, who couldn't kick their legs even above their waist, and yet they were in belt ranks much higher than mine, and they were doing their best, and they were putting everything they had into it. And you could tell it was hard what they were doing. It was pushing them to their limits. But they were doing it nonetheless. They were striving for the goal that they had been given. The old athletic saying is, no pain, no gain. I'm sure you've all heard that before. No pain, no gain. And it actually has truth to it. When you look at the, the biology and physiology of what goes on in athletic training, especially weight training, when you lift weights, you actually slightly damage your muscles. I hope I'm right, Mr. Dan. Tell me if I'm wrong. You actually damage your muscles slightly, and then your muscles heal and they come back stronger and more resilient than they were in the first place. Little tiny tears in your muscles happen, and then they heal back together and they are stronger, bigger, they can lift more, they can do more, because you put in that effort. And it hurt a little bit to get there. Physical therapy hurts, athletic training hurts. I'm sore today after the belt test from yesterday. I can feel it in my back and in my, my legs. But when you do it, it makes you stronger. And actually, it's the same with our spiritual lives. And this is what the author of Hebrews is telling us today in this passage that we read. The author says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And the race they're talking about here is the Christian life. What we do as disciples of Jesus Christ in the world as we're seeking to please God and glorify him. Now this verse begins with a therefore. And anytime you see a therefore, it means it's referring back to the things that they've just said. And so the thing just said is the passage that we read last week. For those of you who were here to hear it, it's chapter 11, which is the great hall of faith, where the author lists all of these people like Abraham and Enoch and Noah, all these people who were great examples of faith in the Old Testament. 
And he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, since all of these people have gone before us with their examples of faith and endurance in the faith, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us too, just like they have, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So our Christian life is like athletic training in that way. It requires diligence. It requires effort. It requires perseverance. And this particular letter was written to a group of Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. They believed that Jesus was Messiah. They were Christians, but they were of a Jewish background. And this group of Christians was beginning to face persecution because of their faith in Jesus. They were beginning to suffer a little bit because of their faith in Jesus. And they were beginning, because of this suffering, because of this testing, because of the difficulty that was set before them now, they were beginning to consider whether it might be better if they just left Jesus behind and went back to their Jewish belief, went back to worshiping in the temple, making sacrifices for their sins. Maybe that would be a better option than the kind of suffering that we're enduring right now for the sake of Jesus. And the author of this letter is saying, no, don't go back. Don't miss out. It might be difficult right now, but God is making you stronger because of it. Just like struggles in athletic training and competition, the struggles we face as Christians may hurt us, or they may make us face difficult decisions. But they also help us to grow stronger in our faith and grow stronger in the way we live out our faith in the world. Looking at the next verse, Verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Focus on Jesus, not on yourself, not on your weaknesses. When you exercise or whenever you go through any kind of a painful experience, maybe it's medical treatment, maybe it's Uh, the endurance that comes from running a race or training for a race, whatever it is, if you focus on the pain, you will quickly wear out and give up. It can help significantly to focus on something other than yourself, other than the pain you're feeling, to help you get through that pain. So, for instance, when I run, and I don't run all that often, but when I run, I quickly get tired because I don't run very often, and my muscles start to hurt and maybe my lungs start to hurt, It's not always a pleasant experience. And so what I usually do is I look out in front of me and I pick a tree and I say, I'm just going to run to that tree and then maybe I'll walk a little bit. And I get to the tree and I look a little further and I say, well, there's a light pole. I'll just walk to the, or run to the light pole and then maybe I'll walk when I get to the light pole. Oh, there's a mailbox. I'll just run to the mailbox and maybe I'll walk when I get to the mailbox. I'll just run a little further. And looking out to something beyond myself gives me a goal to move towards but it also helps me to forget about whatever pain that I'm feeling. And I just find that rhythm in my breathing, and I just keep going one step in front of the next. And eventually I might have to slow down and walk, but I get a lot further by focusing not on myself, not on the pain I'm feeling, but on something out in the distance. What does it mean to focus on Jesus? Focus on Jesus. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Well, for one thing, he gives us an example to compare ourselves to. When we look a little further into verse 3, it says, Consider him 
who endured for sinner, from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He's speaking to people who are weary and faint-hearted, and he's saying, look to Jesus, because Jesus' example is that he endured from sinners, from us, such hostility against himself, and we can find encouragement from that so that we don't grow weary or faint-hearted. When we look beyond ourselves, when we have something to compare ourselves to, it helps to put the things that we experience now into perspective. It helps us to realize how good things actually are for us. My father, when I would uh, fall down or hurt my knee or something like that, would sometimes joke and say, well, you've hurt your knee, but if I just bop you on the head, then your head will hurt and you'll forget all about the pain in your knee. Now, he never actually did that. Uh, But it, it does help us to think about the perspective thing, right? If you have multiple injuries, it's the injury that hurts the most that gets the most attention but it can sometimes mask the pain of other injuries that you experience. And if we focus on Jesus and his endurance, focus on his suffering, focus on what he's done for us, and compare whatever we're going through to what he experienced, we always realize that what he has experienced is far more than we've experienced. And we can take comfort in that, we can take encouragement in that, and we can identify with Jesus in his suffering. When we feel pain, we can identify with his pain. When we suffer, we can identify with his suffering, and it can draw us closer to him. And it can take us out of ourselves and on towards him, just like that telephone pole that I'm running towards. But there's something else Jesus does for us when we focus on him in the midst of our suffering and pain. Because Jesus gives us an inexhaustible source of strength when we feel weak. In the book of Philippians, uh, St. Paul is writing this letter, and he's talking about all the ways that he has suffered. And he suffered a lot. He was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned. He experienced all kinds of suffering as he was traveling around the world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But near the end of the book, he says this in chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When we feel weak, it's because we are weak. When we don't have strength, it's because we don't have strength. But Jesus supernaturally dwells within us, and he can provide what we don't have of our own strength. He can provide what we don't have of our own ability. And he can strengthen us when we feel like falling down. He can pick us up and help us to keep going. Like Paul, we can experience suffering, and we can experience joy. We can experience plenty, and we can experience lack. And in all things, Christ strengthens us and helps us to move forward. So what does Christian training look like? We know what athletic training looks like. It looks like running and getting on the elliptical and pushing weights back and forth and jumping up and down. That's what physical training looks for. What does Christian training look like? It looks like growth in holiness and becoming more like Christ. 
In yet another New Testament letter, we see in the book of Galatians something called the fruit of the Spirit. And here, Paul is contrasting the work of the flesh, a list of things that we would identify as sins. He's contrasting the work of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. What happens when the Holy Spirit dwells in us? What does the fruit look like? What is the result that comes from that? And he says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And if we take all those things collectively together, we might just describe it in one word as holiness or as Christ-likeness because this is the character of Christ himself. This is what Jesus looked like. And when the Holy Spirit's dwelling in us, when we are uh, yielding our will to the Holy Spirit's will, what we discover is that we become more like this too. That's the result of our training in Christ-likeness. How do we do it, though? Well, practically, we train spiritually by regularly practicing spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible reading and silence before the Lord and study of God's word and of theological books and catechisms and participation in the life of the church. All of these are practical means of training, just like as an athlete, you have weights and you have kettlebells and you have resistance bands and you have tracks to run on and sneakers. That's the equipment and the training of an athlete. The equipment and training of a Christian is your Bible and regularly reading your Bible and engaging in prayer with the Lord and being in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ here at church. Those are the things that we do together that help us to grow in this fruit of the Spirit, help us to become more like Jesus. But it also comes through the opportunities that arise each and every day to make choices to live as Christians. Things like resisting temptations or making selfless choices or engaging in conflict when it's necessary. Jesus says, I came not to bring peace, but division. We tend to think of the gospel as a gospel of peace, and it is. A gospel of peace with God, and when we follow it, peace with our brothers and sisters. But not everybody likes the gospel of peace. Not everybody desires to follow in that way, and there are some times when our faith in Jesus will cause conflict in our lives. And when we push into that conflict instead of running away from it, it's difficult, but it helps us to grow stronger as Christians. Now, in Taekwondo, there are two ways that we train. The first is by practicing techniques like kicks and punches and doing them over and over and over again so that we do it in the right way under the instruction of our black belts and they can watch what we do and make sure that we do it correctly so that each and every time we're training our bodies to perform those techniques in just the right way. But another way that we train is through sparring, which is when we put on sparring gear, padding and things like that, and we get into the middle of a ring and we start kicking and punching each other. Now, when you start kicking and punching each other in that way, all of your technical training kind of goes out the window. You aren't thinking about all the steps involved in throwing a perfect punch or all the steps involved in putting forward a, a perfect sidekick. You're just trying to survive and keep yourself from getting hit by the other person who's coming at you. 
But when you've put in the time and the diligence in learning those techniques the right way, even when you throw them out the window, your body has been trained in those responses so you can perform them each and every time. And the longer you practice the techniques and the more you spar, the more you grow through that adversity and become better at your craft. And it's the same in the Christian life. The day-to-day practice and technique are those spiritual disciplines we just talked about. But we also have an equivalent of sparring, where we're not thinking about the techniques, we're just engaging in the adversity of our lives and trying to live with faithful Christian responses to those things. And as we do so, sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong. But we learn from what we do and we grow stronger each and every time. But our training as Christians isn't just about growing in virtue, growing in the fruit of the Spirit. It also involves turning away from vice or the work of the flesh. And this can involve correction. So I had an opportunity to experience correction this weekend just as much as I got to experience athletic training. And my correction came in the form of, as we were driving to our belt test, which was in St. Augustine, I was driving through Green Cove Springs and I noticed some pretty blue and red lights in my rear view mirror. And I looked at the lights and realized that they were attached to a a car that was following me. And so I pulled over to the side of the road thinking, well, maybe this car is going to pass me and pursue someone else. But in fact, the lights followed me right to the side of the road and flagged me over into an adjacent parking lot near the municipal building right there in Green Cove Springs. And we had a, a, a chat with a police officer. And he, he came up to my window and he said, sir, do you know that you were going a little fast on the road? And I said, oh, I, no, I didn't. I'm sorry, officer. And we had a conversation about how my behavior on the road was not in line with what the law says. And uh, we had a, a discussion about that. That was a correction. I needed it because I wasn't doing the right thing on the road. I wasn't driving my car in accordance with the law. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, in the same chapter, talks about this kind of training and discipline as well. Actually, we'll begin in verse 5. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Did you notice the word that was used there about discipline? It was love. Because authentic discipline comes out of love each and every time. That's the mode behind any form of discipline that's done rightly. And we should remember this when we are in a position to correct others, but we should also remember it when we are in a position to be corrected by others who have authority over us. The author of this letter compares the Lord's discipline with parental discipline, which is a good metaphor to use because I think all of us are familiar with parental discipline from either end of of the, the spectrum there. Every one of us was a child at one point. How many of you experienced parental discipline at some point in your life? Yeah, just about all of us, pretty much all of us there. Good, yeah. And some of you have had the opportunity to be on the other side and administer parental discipline. So it's something that we're all familiar with, right? Something we can all relate to. And what this author says is that um, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? 
If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Now think for a moment about your own experience of parental discipline. What was it like for you? Were your parents harsh or were they lenient? If you are a parent, in which of these directions do you lean? Do you lean towards being harsh or do you lean towards being lenient? We all tend to do one or the other and sometimes we vacillate between the two. I vacillate between the two often. Sometimes I'm too harsh and other times I'm too lenient. And what that does is it leaves children confused because the parental discipline that we experience here on earth is never perfect because we all have sinful parents. And if you are a parent, you are a sinful parent. It's just the truth of the reality because we all are sinners. We're all bent towards sin. We're, if we're Christians, we're growing in holiness and hopefully we're improving, but we all have sin inside of us. And so we don't discipline authentically. We usually steer one way or the other. Lenient parents need to remember the words of Proverbs chapter 13, verses, verse 24, which says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. There's a school of parenting today that says the loving thing to do for your children is to not discipline them at all and never utter the word no. And just let your children experience whatever they want to experience. Let them explore, redirect them, but don't say no. How many of you are teachers? I know, I know teachers have, have borne the fruit of uh, this kind of discipline in the classroom. It doesn't go well for teachers and it doesn't go well for society to never say no to children. And what this passage is saying is that he who loves his child is diligent to discipline him. Now, that doesn't have to be with spanking or corporal discipline. That seems to be what this passage is talking about. But it does involve some form of correction because parents need to train and correct their children and get them moving on the right path. But then the harsh parent needs to hear the words from Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And too often, the strict parent or the harsh parent feels that they have to retaliate for whatever disobedience has happened by being even more strict, by provoking their children to anger. Because if your children aren't angry at the discipline that you're, you're correcting them with, obviously you didn't do it right. So you should stir them up to anger and get them mad at you, and then that would be evidence that they have heard your message loud and clear, right? That's the other direction. We're not supposed to provoke our children to anger. Neither are we supposed to be so lenient towards them that they never hear correction. The author of Hebrews says that that would make them actually illegitimate children because legitimate children are corrected by their parents. We all tend to move towards one of those poles and sometimes back and forth between those two poles, but the truth is in the middle. And the truth is discipline done with love. Discipline done with love. Every human parent is imperfect, and none of us get it right all the time. Some of us don't get it right most of the time. And this can cloud the way that we see God 
because God is our Heavenly Father, and we interpret that image of Heavenly Father through the lens of earthly father and earthly mother. But God's discipline is always perfect, and it always comes from a place of love. In verses 9 and 10, this letter says, We've all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, speaking of our earthly parents, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, speaking of God, disciplines us for our good. When God disciplines us, it's always for our good. It's never just because he has an opinion that's different than ours. It's never just because he's trying to force his way on us. It's for our good. He knows what's best for us, and he's trying to correct us in a way that will help us to grow in that direction. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Wow. God is pretty holy. He's the most holy. And when he's disciplining us and correcting us, he's helping us to become more like him, to share in his holiness. N.T. Wright, who's an Anglican bishop and biblical scholar, says about this passage, It may come as a shock to many Christians to discover that there lies ahead of them a life in which God, precisely because he is treating us as sons and daughters, will refuse to spoil us or ignore us, will refuse to let us get away forever with rebellion or folly, with sin or stupidity. He has his ways of alerting his children to the fact that they should either pause and think again or turn around and go in the opposite direction or get down on their knees and repent. What does this discipline look like? Well, it might look like a secret that you've buried deep inside coming to light or an opportunity that you really wanted not coming to fruition. Or, in Jonah's case, like being swallowed up in the great belly of a huge fish and spit out on dry land a little bit closer to the location that God was trying to direct you to go. That's one of the great stories of repentance in the Old Testament, isn't it? And it's a great example of God's discipline and correction when someone was going wrong. So think for a moment about the experiences in your own life, the adversity that you've experienced. Often it falls into the category of just pure the evil of the world working against us, but often we will also find that God is using it either to help us be trained in righteousness, just like athletic training trains the athlete, or to steer us in a different direction and correct us. And so when we find these difficult circumstances, we might cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, what are you doing? Why are you submitting me to this? Or we could humbly say, Lord, what are you doing? Why am I experiencing this? And what do you want me to learn from it right now? How are you calling me to grow? Is there anything you're calling me to repent of? Am I going in the wrong direction? Is there a different direction you want me to go? The purpose of God's discipline, again, is that we share in his holiness. And we don't need to fear God's discipline. It might not be pleasant. No discipline is pleasant at the time. But it will yield an important harvest in our lives. In verse 11, it says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness 
to those who have been trained by it. The peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If you're into fruit and fruit trees, you'll know that the best way to get fruit from your trees is to prune them. Because if you don't prune your fruit trees, you'll have branches that don't produce much fruit, sucking energy away from branches that do produce fruit. And so if you clip off the branches that don't bear fruit, and there's systematic ways of doing that, people have studied oranges and apple trees and things like that. If you clip off those branches that don't produce fruit, you'll find that the branches that do will produce more fruit. And this is what God's training can do in our lives. He prunes us, which never seems pleasant at the time. I don't like being pruned, and I'm sure you probably don't either. But when you are pruned by the Lord for your good, so you can grow in holiness, it will produce a peaceful harvest of righteousness in your life. But sometimes discipline and correction and training can cause us to feel discouraged. And that's the image we see in verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. That's a posture of discouragement. That's what the author is describing here. Because when we're discouraged, we're kind of hunched over and bent over. It's a posture that shows that we are maybe even in despair. And so the author here is encouraging us to lift up our drooping hands and strengthen our weak knees, to be encouraged rather than discouraged. Why should we be encouraged when we're receiving discipline? Well, it goes back to our position before the Father. Because the Father has adopted us as children, and as children, as legitimate children, he does discipline us for our good because he loves us. And so when we receive discipline, when we receive correction, when we receive difficult training in our lives, we can take courage in the fact, we can be encouraged in the fact that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God and that he is helping us to become more like him, that there is a goal and a purpose to the things that we experience. And if you're struggling with your growth in virtue, remember that each time you struggle and prevail, your spiritual muscles grow a little bit stronger and you become a little bit more like Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for our discipline, even if it doesn't seem pleasant at the time. We thank you for the adversity that we experience in life. We thank you for difficulty. We thank you you for the way that you love us and that you help us to grow through discipline. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be aware of your hand at work in our lives, that you'd help us to see the ways that you're calling us to grow and help us to press into those struggles rather than run away from them. We thank us that you love us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to take up our cross and follow him, walking in his footsteps, bearing the struggles, bearing the suffering, and help us to become more like him. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and help us to be pruned so that we can bear the fruit of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, 
please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.